We just came off of a rather busy Thanksgiving. All four boys were home, all daughters-in-law, seven grandchildren, the oldest of whom is four. <laughs> and um, one of the most gratifying, oops, oh, that was the funny part, right? Yeah. Wow. I need to back up. When my boys were little, um, there was a time of year we were sort of the scourge of the neighborhood. And it was this time of the year. Because the neighborhood kids learned, before their folks really wanted them to, that there's no Santa Claus. Because my kids told them. <laughs> and I just found this out. Um, I'm proud to say that that tradition is being carried on now by their kids, who are ruining Christmas uh, for their friends, too. So that's a good thing. Now, I'm here to tell you, I, I would like to send you all out for Christmas with something, something you can work with, something practical, something you can perhaps use as a witnessing tool. And everyone who's a Christian knows that Christians don't believe in Santa Claus. And uh, so I'm going to help you with that today. You may have heard this before, but every time I read it, I smile. You need to understand how it is that there can be no Santa Claus. There really can't. So um, I've got this little article entitled, The Physics of Santa and His Reindeer. So for what it's worth, and I hope it's worth something to you, before we get into our talk on how to discern God's will, I think we'll start here. No known species of reindeer can fly. But there are 300,000 species of living organisms yet to be classified. And while most of these are insects and germs, this does not completely rule out flying reindeer, which only Santa has ever seen. There are 2 billion children, that is, persons under 18 in the world. But since Santa doesn't appear to handle the Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, and Buddhist population children, that reduces his workload to 15% of the total. 378 million, according to Population Reference Bureau. At an average rate of 3.5 children per household, that's 91.8 million homes. One presumes there's at least one good child in each. Santa has 31 hours of Christmas to work with. Thanks to the different time zones and the rotation of the earth, assuming he travels east to west, which seems logical, this works out to 822.6 visits per second. This is to say that for each Christian household with good children, Santa has one one-thousandth of a second to park, hop out of the sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left, get back up the chimney, get back into the sleigh, and move on to the next house. 
Assuming that each of these 91.8 million stops are evenly distributed around the Earth, which of course we know to be false, but for the purposes of our calculations we will accept, we are now talking about 0.78 miles per household, a total trip of 75.5 million miles, not counting stops to do what most of us must do at least once every 31 hours, plus feeding and so forth. This means that Santa's sleigh is moving at 650 miles per second, 3,000 times the speed of sound. For purposes of comparison, the fastest man-made vehicle on Earth, the Ulysses space probe, moves at a pokey 27.4 miles per second. A conventional reindeer can run at top speed 15 miles per hour. Now, this is the part we need to pay attention to. If every one of the 91.8 million homes with good children were to put out a single chocolate chip cookie (laughs) and an 8-ounce glass of 2% milk, the total calories, (laughs) needless to say, other vitamins and minerals, would be approximately 225 calories, 100 for the cookie, give or take, and 125 for the milk, give or take multiplying the number of calories per house by the number of homes, uh, that is 225 times 91.8 times 1 million, we get the total number of calories Santa consumes that night, uh, which is 20,655,000,000 calories. To break it down even further, one pound is equal to 3,500 calories, Dividing our total number of calories by the number of cookies in a pound, we get the number of pounds Santa gains, (laughs) which is 5,901,428.6 pounds, which is 2,950.7 tons. The payload on the sleigh... The payload on the sleigh adds another interesting element. Assuming that each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, which weighs about two pounds, the sleigh is carrying 321,300 tons, not counting Santa, who, (laughs) who is invariably described as overweight. On land, conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds, even granting that flying reindeer, see above, could pull 10 times that normal amount. We cannot do the job with eight or even nine. We need 214,200 reindeer. (laughs) This increases the payload, not even counting the weight of the sleigh, to 353,430 tons. Again, for comparison, this is four times the weight of the Queen Elizabeth. 353,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates enormous air resistance. This will heat the reindeer up in the the same fashion as spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair of reindeer will absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second each. 
in short, they will burst into flame almost instantaneously, exposing the reindeer behind them and create deafening sonic booms in their wake. The entire reindeer team will be vaporized within 4.26 thousandths of a second. Santa, meanwhile, will be subjected to centrifugal forces 17,500.06 times greater than gravity. A 250-pound Santa, which seems ludicrously slim, would be pinned to the back of his sleigh by 4,315,015 pounds of force. In short, if Santa ever did deliver presents on Christmas Eve, he's dead now. So there you have it. You now have physics working in behalf of the gospel, getting rid of Santa Claus best we can. I'm uh, continuing what we started a month or so ago with regard to what some might call how to find the will of God. I'm a little uncomfortable with that, and so we have revised our title to something a little more benign, which is biblical planning. How's that? And... um, Hi, Scott and Shannon. It's really good to see you two. They had a great wedding last Friday. That was just marvelous. So I think we should give it up for Scott and Shannon. This is really a good thing. Sorry to destroy your Santa Claus ideas too, Scott. That totally unintentional. That's the idea. Um, Biblical planning will take some thoughts from the 15th chapter of Romans where, where it seems to me the Apostle Paul helps us understand the factors he weighed as he was seeking to make a plan. What's he going to do next? And I suspect that many, maybe most of us in this room are thinking, okay, what do I do next? Here I am at Bible college. I'm not so sure about next year, next semester, next week. Who knows? Uh, perhaps there's something in the scripture that will help us. Now, a few weeks back when we do- talked about this for the first time, I mentioned a book by a fellow named Gary Friesen, Decision Making and the Will of God. And that book stood, maybe still does, as the final word on how to figure out the will of God. Is anyone interested in owning that book? No one? You've already got it? I'm going to give it away. Okay. I'm going to give it to the youngest person. How old are you? Yeah, it's pretty young. Oh, whoa. Sorry. You you didn't raise your hand. So he'll share it. He'll share it. So anyway, there you have it. Merry Christmas. Um, Last time we talked about this, where am I now? And, And the point that, just by way of very quick review, the point is, look, if I'm trying to figure out where God wants me and I am not serving him now, then that's going to be a pretty lame foundation from which to start. The Apostle Paul could talk from verses 14 to 19 in Romans 15. He said, this is where I've been. This is what I've done. This is, in a narrative sort of sense, this is my Christian resume. So he's He's moving, just like that old analogy we've heard forever about turning a car that isn't moving. It's very hard to do. The car that's moving, though, uh, you can steer much more easily. So where am I now? We're going to move to the, to the uh, second point, 
which is what does the Bible say about my plan. But before we do, I just want to remind you of three truths that apply no matter what. Maybe you think you've got it all figured out, you know exactly what's going to happen next. Maybe you're just absolutely in the dark uh, and you're, you're feeling your way along into this thing. But, but there are several principles that we just have to keep in mind, no matter what, no matter what anyone says, uh, no matter how you feel about it, uh, this is, these, these stand. One is God is sovereign, and, and God uh, can't, he should not be second-guessed. We need to move away from the what-ifs. God, God is sovereign, and he really does care about these things. He really does orchestrate circumstances, and to second-guess him will be an exercise in futility, Secondly, God will always look on the heart. Always look on the heart. Am I doing what I'm doing? Am I planning what I'm planning? Am I doing this best as I'm able to know to please him? Or is this me being me? And I think I'll just be me and God can be God. You know, that makes me, according to the first chapter of James, that makes me a double-minded person. Uh, if, if our heart is to, Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, where do you want me to go? That's, that is key. I can, I've many times, particularly in my earlier years, as I was a student and making plans and so forth, I would hear this conversation and this question asked, well, well where's your burden? You know, what's your burden? Um, is, is it for, you know, in the case of Elliot, uh, Elliot's burden, we all know, is Africa. And so, so we've seen him go there and do these things. Or Scott's burden is Native American ministry. That's his burden. And sometimes we go with the burden. I'm telling you from my personal experience, I've only ever had one burden. And my burden has always been, I just want to do God's will. I just want to do what he sets before me to do. Now, if that lands me in rural Montana in the Gallatin Valley, all the better. Um, fantastic. But, but I've always had that in my mind. I just want to do what God wants me to do. And if that's the want-to piece, then that's foundational. Um, God always looks on our hearts. And, and thirdly, and this one I particularly like, God doesn't play games. God doesn't play games. He's not into that. We, we, will, be, we will play games. In our flesh, we will posture, we'll pose, we'll manipulate we'll screw around that way. God doesn't do that. He doesn't need to do that. He's, he's straightforward. He's consistent. He's unchanging. He doesn't need to dangle a carrot on a stick. He doesn't delight himself in seeing you go halfway through a door only to shut it on your foot. That isn't how God operates. He doesn't play games. He looks on the heart, and he's utterly sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he's only given us a couple minutes left in this time. Is that clock accurate? How late do I go, Scott? What time does that class start? Straight up. Okay. Piece of cake then. We'll talk about what the Bible says about my plan. If you're in Romans 15, I'll just cover this one particular area. And uh, we'll go from there. Many years ago, I had the privilege of visiting uh, Israel and Greece. Two places where I had never been. And we were gone for about a month. And I can remember, prior, we knew we were going months ahead of time, and so able to, we were able to get our hands on a book that proved to be incredibly valuable, particularly in Greece, where we basically were on our own. 
and that book was called Let's Go, Greece and Israel. And so that's where we went. And I tell you, the, the, the tips that they gave and the maps that they provided and the leads that they offered as far as places to stay and places to eat and things to avoid were absolutely invaluable. And so, in a sense, that's where Scripture weighs in. Is my plan, in any sense, biblical? The Apostle says, in uh, verses 20 and 21 of this chapter 15, he says, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, and here he quotes Isaiah 52, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. He's, he's using this verse to reference his own conversion experience in Acts chapter 9, which he repeats again in Acts chapter 26, talking about how it is that God called him to go to the Gentiles who had not yet heard that was his calling, that was God's will for his life, and he actually had a Bible verse to back it up. That may not always be the case for us. We may not always have a Bible verse to, to back up our plan, but there are a couple of ways that, that we can deal with that. There are two reasons the Bible can be brought directly to bear in whatever our plan might be. One is, it may speak to the issue directly or indirectly. Is it God's will for me to share the gospel? Yes. Is it God's will for me to associate myself with the body of believers and be accountable to them? Yes. There are direct biblical principles that talks specifically to those, and you know that because you've been in Bible college now for the better part of a semester, and you understand that the Scripture does do that, but it also speaks indirectly, in a sense, and that is this, where, where's your heart in the matter? Are we being self-serving? We can do biblical things in a self-serving manner, and we need to be aware of that. You know, another thing that the Bible does And I will encourage you, once you have taken your finals, in about a week, and many of you will be going away, and many of you, all of you, will no longer be in class. I think we have about a four-week break. There will be a temptation to say, ah, I can put this stuff aside for now. Now, at an academic level, I would encourage you to do exactly that. Don't don't spend your four weeks exegeting passages of Scripture and and reading deep theological treatises, unless that's what you do for rest and recreation. Uh, go ahead, that's fine. But please, brothers and sisters, please don't let your Bible accumulate dust. Continually stay in the Word of God. There's something that happens, and I know I've talked about this before, but there's something that happens that we cannot put our finger on as precisely as we might wish, but when the Holy Spirit, who authors scripture and who empowers the truth of scripture when that holy spirit interacts if you will when i interact with scripture and the holy spirit's in me and the holy spirit's responsible for scripture there's a there's a completed circuit or something that happens and and the power of the word of god comes home to us we neglect it to our own demise always be in scripture i tell classes this i tell congregations this Read that Bible. Read it, ever, read it through once a year. Let that be a life's goal that you never, ever let up on reading Scripture because then perhaps there will be a specific scriptural principle that will speak to my situation and I can say, okay, 
This appears to be a go from God. But even if that doesn't happen, and often it doesn't, at least my spiritual sensitivity and my biblical awareness is continually being increased. And there's something to that that enhances my sense of how God is leading and what he's doing in my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismiss you before going to point two. I'm glad I got the Santa Claus thing in there, though. That was pretty important. I don't know. Did we sing extra long or did I just take extra long? I love the singing. That's okay. Let me pray. I'm going to pray for you. Um, how many of you have a paper yet to finish? Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for the way you are, for who you are. Thank you, God, for not misleading us, for not playing jokes on us, for proving your integrity over and over and over and most decisively by sending your son. Lord, I pray for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for the delight it's been being among them these months. And I pray that wherever you take them on their break time, Father, that you would use them that you would encourage them, that you'd give them rest, that you would provide them with at least one opportunity to share the remarkable good news of Jesus with someone who's never heard it in clear terms. Father, for the days ahead, next week, and finals and papers and these things, please provide the presence of mind and the strength and the recall, just the grace that each one needs to draw closer to you through this experience. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your son. In his name we pray. Amen.